Is that you on the screen there? <laughs> Thank you for your honesty, brother. That's what we need today. Hallelujah. As you know, we started, and uh, I'm preaching through the, the Word of God, but a few weeks ago, the Lord laid upon my heart to preach a series on guarding our hearts. Guard your heart with all diligence, because out of it springs the springs of life. And we are just going to go through and look at a few of those. Today I want to talk about guard your heart, and I want to specifically speak about anger. Anger. Now, I want to say at the start of the sermon that um, I'm just a messenger. Yes? I'm just going to speak to you and preach to you what the Lord lays upon my heart. Now, this is by far not coming from a high, elevated position from where I am. Because when I prepared this, the Lord touched my heart. I need to look into myself. And I want to ask you something today. If, if you feel at any stage annoyed by what I'm saying, angry and so on, just ask this to the Lord and say, Lord, why do I feel the way that I feel now? That's, that's a good place to start. I'm not here to offend you. I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to trickle your ears either. I'm just going to say that. You know that the Word of God cuts like a sword between moan and barrow spirit and soul. And we need to address that. So before we get into that word, I want to read the following scripture out of Philippians to you. Because I think it is important. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And if you've got a Bible, I want you to open up there because I want you to understand where I'm coming from, where I believe the Lord is dealing with a few things. Over the next few weeks, we're going to deal with a few of these things which is going to be close to home. And when I mean home, it means in here, right in there, right deep in there. And we need to deal with this. I often say to people, we all got blind spots, don't we? If you drive in a car, there's a blind spot. You can't see the cars around you until it's too late. You know, we as, as people have got blind spots. You do something, and it's right in your own eyes, but it's not. And this is what we'll address. But look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in, me, in my presence only, this is Paul saying to them, he wrote to them, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. Paul tells them to do something. So a lot of people get saved in churches and they say, oh, I'm born again, I'm on my way to heaven, and they do nothing. Absolutely nothing. A lot of people come and sit in the church and they expect the pastor now to wheelbarrow them into heaven. You will look after me. I'm coming and I'm putting my soul into your care. Please don't do that. Please don't put your soul into my care. I know I've got care over you, but I've got no authority over you. If I had authority over you, you can put your soul in my care. But then I'm going to become your Lord. Then I'm going to become your master. And no man should be another man's master. The only one who's got authority is our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the great shepherd. He's the only, I'm just standing here in delegated authority. I've got nothing of myself. Nothing. Zolts, donuts. But he's got it all. And now Paul comes, he says, now that you have been saved, don't become a lazy Christian. Don't become somebody who just warms the chairs and the pews in church. But when you hear the word, receive the word, and work and obey it. This is why Paul calls out the word obey there. He says, now that I've gone, now that you don't see me anymore, now you need to obey and how do you obey? Work out your own salvation. A lot of people grab that passage there and they try to push in now faith plus works. It's not that. He says, now that you are saved, it's an ongoing process that's happening. You're going to come across sermons like this, like today. Now you can do one of two things. You can become angry or you can go, Lord, test my heart so that I can work out my own salvation. 
This is what he says there. He says it right there in that passage. So powerful, so profound that he writes to them this. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Why? Because you are dealing with your soul here. For, everybody say for. Because this is now an application. The words therefore and for is applicational words. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So he says, work out your own salvation. You've got work to do. You are saved now, but you have to grow now. And how are you growing? You listen and you obey. That's how you grow. He says, you need to work out your own salvation. But then he says, God's going to do something here. He's going to both will in your life. It's not your own will. Come on. Our own will wants to walk away from God. I, I came across so many people who says it's so hard to worship Christ, to, to be a Christian. They don't want to. They resist Him. That's the natural man after sin came into the world. It's not as we naturally gravitate towards Christ. We naturally gravitate away from Him. We gravitate towards false religions, false gods, we gravitate to our self-pleasure. That's where we go. That's who we are. But he says, no, now we need to work on something. And it's not work for salvation. It is work on your salvation. Therein lies the difference. But now he says it's so wonderful. He says, God's not just going to leave you over to your own devices, trying to figure it out. No, he gives you a plan for the purpose that he's got for you. And the plan is defined in His Word. But it is in, in churches. It's the best seller still of all books, but it's not the best reader of all books. Am I putting that right? You understand what I'm saying? People just don't read it. Oh, you know, Pastor, I got so busy. And, you know, don't explain it to me. Tell it to God. Tell Him you're busy. And see how He can take your time away from you. <laughs> you've been there? You will laugh if you've been there because I've been there. Oh, I'm so busy and guess what? That whole week you've just got time for nothing. Even the stuff that you like to do, you haven't got time for that anymore. But commit your time to God and He will give you time. This is a biblical principle. But He says it here. He says now, He will work in you. God will work in you. But you need to allow Him, you see, both to will and to do. Now it's so wonderful that he places the will in us, and then he uses that word do there. I haven't got it on the screen because as I was praying there this morning, the Lord laid the scripture on my heart. And maybe I'm taking a time, but it's for somebody here today. Some people are trying to do it out of their own strength. I'm trying so hard to be a good Christian preacher. I'm trying so hard. And it is hard to do the right thing. It is hard, isn't it? I mean, I'm trying to lose weight and keep my wife under control. My, not wife, my life, and my weight under control. <laughs> Please don't, you know, get it out of a recording. <laughs> That's a dangerous one for you. I'm trying to get it under control, but naturally, it's, it's hard work. But God's not leaving you over to your own devices, dear friend. That word there to do, he says he wills it in you. That's what the Holy Spirit's work is in you. And he's going to work with you today in anger. He's going to will in you to not anger. And then he's going to do it in you. That word there comes from the Greek word energizio. You know what it means? He gives you the energy. He gives you, he gives you, listen to me. He gives you the energy to do what he wants you to do. What do you need to do? Obey. That's what you do. So that's a good entry into this, isn't it? Now we want to talk about guard your heart, and we're going to speak about anger. Now I want to just relay what I said last week. We're working with this. This is our base verse. This is where we take it from. And next week and the week after, God willing, I will unpack another two of these words. We looked at guarding your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And then we said that word guard there means that God entrusted something into you. He entrusted to you a new heart. He gave you a new heart. And then when we unpacked it last week, we said that this word diligence there means, it actually means to guard meticulously. 
to God meticulously means you look at every single thing like an accountant going over the numbers meticulously of how you're going to guard your heart. He's talking to Christians here. He's not talking to the world because the world don't care. They don't care what's going into their hearts. And we said last week, garbage in, garbage out. And we also said that whatever is in your heart will control your actions. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit further for you right now. So we look at this verse here first of all. Because I want to give you an understanding from where we're going to go right into the root of this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul writes to this church, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. You see that word there? That word sanctify there means to set you apart. It is also the word holiness. If it says God is holy, that's also the same word. He's sanctified. God is sanctified. He's set apart. Now he says, may God of peace himself set you apart. Not the same as the world. Completely and may your whole, look at this now, spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, everybody has seen this, and for those people who have seen this so many times, I want you to be patient with me for those who haven't seen this and don't understand this. But this is us. This is the human body there. And inside of us, there is three things there that Paul says. Some scholars and some people say there's only two. Some people say there's three. They call it a dichotomous being, which means a two-part being, which means this body and your soul. And they say the soul is the soul and the spirit. That's what some people say. Okay, and that's fine. I haven't got an issue with that. But then there's others who say that there's a three-part person. You who sit here looking at me, you've consist out of three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. And that is called a trichotonomous being. I want to say that animals... Dogs and everybody and, 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 you know, lions, leopards, whatever you call it, it's a dichotonomous being. Why are they dichotonomous? They are a body and they've got a soul. But human beings has got something extra. We've got a spirit. We've got a spirit living in us. There's either one of two kinds of spirits living inside of you. It says that in Ephesians, it says that there are sons of disobedience. It's the spirit of disobedience. Okay? So if we look at this here, we see that Paul says, and, and by the way, I'm not sitting in either camp here. I'm not going to open up a theological discussion about whether you should believe dichotomy or trichotomy. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to unpack the word. Is that okay? But if we look at this now, Paul says, inside of us, there is a body, first of all, outside. We all can see the body, don't we? We all feel the body. We all live in this body. But then he says there is a soul. He says there is a soul living inside of us. The soul is the, I've got it the wrong way. The soul is actually the blue one there, okay? Are you going to forgive me? Okay, that's fine. So the blue one there is the soul. And then we've got a spirit. And the spirit is sitting on the outside. And then you can have it either or. You can have it the blue one, change it around as you want to. But then we've also got a heart in here. And he says that these three things is what makes a man. Remember, we're coming back to guarding our heart. And now he says we need to keep these things perfect and blameless. The body is the physical body. We know that. That's our strength. That is who we are. That is what we live. We feed this body. But the soul is the self-conscious life of a person. The self-consciousness of you. That is where is the seat of your personality. That is who you really are. That's your soul. It is also the intellect and the emotions and the will lives inside of your soul. It's not your body. Your body is going to go back to the grave. But it's who you are is the soul inside of you. When you die, your body goes down and your soul goes to heaven or it goes to hell if you are an unbeliever. But here it says that. Now the spirit is that part of you which is able to know and to communicate with God. That is what the spirit is. Now let's think about sons of disobedience. Do they want to communicate with God? No. Where did that come from? 
we go back to Genesis. You, know, you remember when Adam and Eve were made? They were made perfect. They could speak to God one-on-one, face-to-face. Why? Because the Spirit in them spoke with God. They could comprehend God. That's why animals don't have a spirit. Have you seen a lot of cows coming into a paddock and they go, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Have you seen that? Have you seen that in sheep? Hallelujah! You know, we're not Dr. Doolittles here, but animals do not have that capacity with inside of them. Yet we do, don't we? Adam did. Adam was perfect. When God made him and Eve, they were perfect. They had their souls, they had their intellect, they could change, they could decide, they could do all of their emotions, everything. They could communicate all of that to God. But then sin entered in, and, and what did God say? If you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Isn't that right? And then they ate of the tree, and what happened? Uh, you know, I reckon Adam looked at Eve and said, ate of the tree, and he goes, nothing happened. She didn't die, she didn't fall over. What he didn't realize, that they died spiritually that day. That connection of the spirit was broken with God. They become, the spirit of disobedience came in. That's why the man in the street can't speak to God just like that. We need the Holy Spirit to come. Once you are born again, what comes inside of you? You said it, my sister, when you prayed it. The Holy Spirit comes in and what does He do? He restores you to the place where you before, before sin comes entered into the world. He makes you whole again. Hallelujah! Is that good teaching or what? That's how we operate. See where we're going now with guarding our heart? Now the heart is important. Because the heart is the control of the soul. This little thing here, the heart controls the soul. This is why the heart is so important. And it's not talking about this pumping flesh heart in there. He's talking about your spiritual heart. What are you bringing in? Because what you're bringing into your heart is going to control your soul. And if it controls your soul, it's going to come over your lips and it's going to come into your hands. And it's going to come into your feet. You're going to walk to places you don't belong. You're going to touch things you shouldn't. And you're going to say things you shouldn't. That's just how we are. This is where you are sitting today. This is where I'm standing today. That's the makeup of man. Now we can apply what I've just taught to you to a few verses here. And you will see the importance of the heart. This is the, this is the purpose of all of this. Deuteronomy. Let's go to the Old Testament. Chapter 6, verse 5. Look at this verse. You know, it says there, You shall love the Lord your God with all your... Look, where's the heart? It's right in the middle, isn't it? And what did I just say to you? Your heart controls your what? Your soul. God is so perfect in His Word. It's so clear to us. A ten-year-old can understand this, and we can. He says, You shall love the Lord your God in your heart with all of your soul. In other words, if you love the Lord your God in your heart, it's going to influence your personality, it's going to influence your emotions, it's going to influence your will. This is why we come back to that verse. He says it's God, both God to will and do inside of you. But you've got to obey Him in your heart. That's where it starts. That's the center. That is the, the cry, crisis point of it. He says, with all of your soul and then with what? All of your strength. All of your strength. And these words, everybody say words. words. Which I command you today shall be where? Why is it so important for you to read your Bible? Where is your Bible going to? It's going into your heart. And if it's going into your heart, it's going to control your soul. And then you will obey God better. But you can't fill your heart with garbage and expect to get a perfectly fine pavlova out of that. I know where pavlova comes from, but you can't get a perfectly fine apple coming out of all of the garbage. Is that right? We need to watch what's going into your heart. What we feed into the heart, the heart is going to control the soul. And what's going to happen? It's going to control your life. He says, even with your strength. Now, I may say this. There are a lot of people today who are trying to please God with their strength. With their bodies alone. They follow law religiously. 
You know, you have to pray. You have to fast. You have to do this. That's the work of salvation. That's not the work of salvation. The work of salvation is in the heart. That is where it starts and that's where it ends. Because that influences your life. Let's go to a New Testament verse. I've given you one Old Testament verse. There's plenty, by the way. And if you take this concept here, you can apply it to the whole Bible. You will find this. It works. I've tested it. Now look at this one. Matthew chapter 15, verse 11. He says, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Matthew 12, 34. For out of the abundance of the what? The heart, the mouth speaks. That flows out. If you're going to overflow, listen to me now, if you take a cup and whatever you throw into the cup, if it's a black pot of coffee and you keep on throwing it, throwing it, eventually the cup is going to fill up and then it's going to overflow with all of that black coffee. Yeah? And if you take water and you flow it in, what's going in is coming out. I think I laid the process, really the foundation here. And this is important for us to know. Jesus says, it is not what you eat. It is not what you do with your strength and everything that defiles. It is the stuff that comes out of you that defiles your body. Now, let me also just lay a disclaimer here. It doesn't say that you lose your salvation if you are born again, but it defiles you. It controls you. There are Christians who are controlled by habits in their lives. There are Christians who are controlled by stuff which they allow into their lives. It gives Satan a foothold in your life. He can't control you anymore. He can't live in you anymore. He's not inside. He's on the outside shouting with a megaphone. This is what it is. And we need to understand how it works. Now let's go with that. Now into Ephesians. Well first let me give you, when we want to talk about uh, anger, let me give you a definition of anger. Now that we get into the meaty part of the sermon. The definition for anger is a strong feeling that makes you want to hurt someone. Have you seen that around you? Have you felt like that before? That's me. I'm putting up my hand. You know, we all, this touches everybody in this room. Doesn't matter how perfect you think you are, there comes times when you get this feeling over you and there's just this thing that comes over you to try to hurt. You want to react, you want to bite back. But we are not dichotomous animals that bite back. No, there's something that can happen with us. It says that makes you want to hurt somebody or be unpleasant because of something unfair or unkind that has happened to you or someone you love. That is the definition for anger. Can we agree with that? That's not a biblical definition. That is out of the dictionary. You see, this is the main cause for depression. It's the main cause for a lot of sickness in people. They are so angry that it affects their bodies. It is the main cause for anxiety in some people's lives. It makes them anxious. It, makes, it brings grief into people's lives. And it brings conflict into people's lives. I mean, just think about road rage, isn't it? There's somebody sitting there, and they better getting so angry, and what happens? They just on the honk, 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 honk. And, and, and they want to cut you off, and they want to come out and just hurt you. But that's the extreme. What about the house? And we're going to unpack and go a little bit deeper into that. And, and like I say, we're going to go really deep today. If you feel convicted today, just ask the Lord and say, Lord, please help me as I've done. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 8, we see where anger comes from. You see, there's a righteous anger and there's a not righteous anger. And it's so interesting that a lot of Christians say, but I'm a Christian, all my anger is righteous. Not so. Not so. But we see in Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 8 where the Lord, our God, is an angry God. Who knows that? He says also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. Well, if you talk to people in the world, they say, well, but God is a loving God. Yes, He is. But He's also a just God. He's also a righteous God, and He's also an angry God. That's who He is. 
In fact, in the Old Testament, there is over 600 references of God's wrath and anger. More than His love. There's more references to God's anger than His love. Now, you're sitting here today and you say, you see, preacher, you see, pastor, that, that just justifies why I can get angry. Now, just hold on there before you say that. Just hold on. There's more coming. You see, this God, my sister, is righteous anger. It is coming from a holy place. And we need to understand what it is against before we are so quickly to say that gives us justifications. You see, anger is an attribute of God as well. It's who God is. He is holy, like I said, but He's also just. And His anger comes from a right place. And it comes for the right reasons. Because if you look right through the Old Testament, all of His anger is focused on what? Against sin. And against sinful people. He says it right there. He says, you provoke God. The people provoke God to wrath so that His anger is enough to have destroyed them. And like I said, there's over 600 references. I'm not going to give you all of them. We haven't got all the time. But we also see that anger in Jesus. We see that anger in Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, and you thought I was going to talk about him walking in with the whip, did you? No, I didn't see that. That's what we saw. But we see this one here in Mark chapter 3 verse 5. He says, and when he had looked around them, there's this man, and he's got leprosy. And everybody's looking upon him, what he's going to do. You see, these people try to catch Jesus. They want to cut him out, uh, catch him out, and they want to grab him. And he looked at them. And again, I want to tell you where Jesus' anger is coming from is from a righteous place. You look upon these people, they didn't have the care of people on their hearts. They had their own self-righteousness in their minds. He looked at them, these people, with anger. Being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. What was he grieved about? With the hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and he, his hand was restored. You see, God's anger, Jesus' anger, always leads you and me to repentance. God's anger always leads us towards salvation. That is it. That's the right place. Now, again, let me ask you, the last time when you got angry to somebody, when you were looking at somebody with gnarls or anything, and you wanted to hurt them, was that to bring them to salvation? Was that to bring them to Christ? Was that to bring them to God? This is why I say there is a righteous anger, but that belongs to the Lord, doesn't it? What about us then? What about us? Are we allowed to get angry? Well, the Bible says it here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. I asked that question, I don't say anybody wants to say yes or no. They don't know where I'm going with this. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Paul writes to this church, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Who knows this verse? I think everybody, uh, when I started preaching about anger, they said, Ah, that's the verse I'm going to throw at the preacher today. Guess what? I'm going to give it to you back today. He says here, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath and give place, no place, to the devil. And there you go. There's now a lot of people sitting there and say, as a Christian, you see, that gives me the right. I may be angry. I've got right to be angry. I'm justified. Wait a minute. Just hang on there. Don't be so quickly. You see, this year, if you read it in context, not just grab the verse, like a lot of people just throw the verse at me. And when they throw the verse at me, I say, that's fine if you throw the verse at me, but put it into context, put it into place in that chapter, in that thought that's going on. And you will see that Paul was starting to write to them about what? About sin in their lives. He said in the previous verses, stop lying to one another. Have you noticed? So don't pull it out. Don't parachute into that passage and grab it to fit you. He says, be angry, but do not sin. What does it mean then, Paul? What does it mean? What is this anger? It means that there is an anger in your and my life that makes us sin. There is an anger. 
And I want to ask you again, you know, your anger that you are pushing towards people, why is it there? We're going to unpack it. I'm going to go to the root today. Like I say, we're going to go even deeper than this. What is the root of this anger then? We need to unpack the root, and once we understand the root, then we're going to see the consequences of anger. The first root that I found of anger is frustration. Who, who agrees with that? Frustration is one of the roots of anger. You know, and frustration is anything that stops you to reach your goal. That's it. That's, that's frustration. It's all of those things. You set yourself a goal for something, and you're on your way to that goal. You know, I want to go from here. The other day, you know, a few months ago, I want to go to Fabian's house for the church service, and I'm jumping onto Hall Road, and there I'm driving down Hall Road. Unbeknown to me, they were working on an intersection there on the way to Fabian's house, and I've just looked at my watch. I'm going to be late, so I've got a goal. I've got a time, and when I got there, there's all of these diversions going on, and what happens? I became frustrated, and I started talking to my steering wheel. So why is this happening to me? Steering wheel, tell me. That's us, isn't it? It's me. I told you, I'm not the holy roller here. It happens to me. This happens to all of us. Frustration happens to all of us. You see, it is anything that stops you for your goal. Maybe it's people in your life. Maybe you've got too much expectancy of somebody. You've expected so much of that person and he doesn't turn up to that point. And what happens in your life? You are so frustrated about him or her or them or they or it or whatever. And you know what that frustration causes? It's the root of boiling over into anger. Why? Because you can't reach your goal. There's something in the middle there. You need to understand when this comes over to you, before it goes to anger, you need to start unpacking it and say, why am I all of a sudden starting to become angry? Am I frustrated? And if it's frustration, take the frustration out of it. Maybe your expectations for somebody is too high. You need to drop your expectations. Maybe you should not have an expectation at all. If we do marriage counseling, me and my wife, that's the first place we go to. Between a husband and a wife. When you met her, when you met him, there were no expectations. You accept him just the way he was. You accept her just the way she was. Am I right or wrong? I know I'm married, for, happily married for over 34 years now. And I know that's the thing. But as you grow together, what, what's starting to come into your relationship? Frustration. Why? Because you're starting to build all of these expectancies for him or for her. And you know what those expectancies do? It frustrates you. And you know what it drives you towards? Anger. Anger. And there's another one, circumstances. There's circumstances that sometimes happen in your life and it causes frustration. I mean, each one of you can stand up here and talk about circumstances in your life. You lived a really great life and then this thing happened to you, out of your control. And what does it do? It frustrates you. Circumstance. COVID was a circumstance for some, a lot of people. That happened. Self-failure. A lot of people, you know, they want to put upon, this is one of the roots of anger. If you understand anger, if you understand the root, maybe before you get angry, you can pause and you can think. And you can unpack before you go into a fits of rage or anger or shouting. The second one that I've picked up is hurt or to be threatened. That's a root of anger. And it touches everybody in this place. We don't want to be rejected, do we? I don't love rejection. And if you love rejection, then praise the Lord. You know, you're really tough. But, you know, hurt and being threatened is a root of anger. Or maybe ignored. Maybe you're in, in a place where you are ignored. And, you know, maybe you say hi to somebody and they don't say hi to you. You walk into church and, you know, church is a lovely place and we want to see the grace of God there in Maranatha Christian Fellowship. And you walk in and there's that brother and sister and, and you see their eye catch your eye and you wave and they look away and you go, oh, what's going on here? That, what happens in the inside? You start tabbing into those things and you get to the point where you go, I'm ignored now. What about being humiliated or criticized? We don't like to be criticized, do we? 
But these are all roots. If you understand the root, you will understand the fruit. The fruit is anger. We need to deal with anger, and we need to go deep in, and we need to see what... And, and there's, there's a lot, but I, I'm not a counselor today. I'm not, you're not on a counseling session. I don't want to unpack all of these things here to you today. But I just want to bring those two, because I believe those are the two that touches people the most. In all of the counseling sessions that Leonie and I did, these are the two things which we go down to. It's frustration and hurt and being threatened. Threatened. And let me just say, if you are physically abused and threatened, listen to me now, you need to speak out. That is not right. You need to go for the right help. If somebody physically, and this is for online as well, if there's somebody who physically, it's not right. You need to speak out and it needs direct care. But he talks about us here as Christians, as children of God. You see, if we're going to let these things fester into your hearts, remember the heart controls the soul, the will, the decisions that you make. If you're going to fester frustration in your heart, every small little thing is going to start frustrating you. You begin, you begin living a life of frustration. Somebody means good to you, but you're going to see it as a frustration. You can't see the good anymore. You can only see the frustrations in life because you've only got yourself. You see everything through your own lens. I want to say this morning, brother and sister, may the love of God come into your heart to put your lens aside and to see things through God's lens, through His love, through His patience, through His long-suffering. If you, if you take and, and say, Lord, you know, even now if you feel convicted and say, Lord, this is so deep, it touches me, it opens up so many feelings inside of me, hurt, it may, may be sadness and all of these things, because, you know, all of these things can lead to depression, and it, it's, it's not, the, the, the Spirit of the Lord will not leave you in a depressed state, it will lift you up. But if it comes to this point and you cry out to God, you say, Lord, these things, I don't want them to fester in me. Somebody's hurt you, somebody said bad things against you, let it not fester in your heart. He says it right there. He says, be angry but do not sin. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Because if you let those things fester, the devil will get a foothold in your place. He will get a place in your life. And he will pull on that thing every single time. I know it's a tough message. But we can't sugarcoat it because this can rob you of a lot of blessing. But it's a sin. There's an anger that leads to sin. And I just want to unpack a few of those sins for you. Anger leads to sin. First of all, it leads to vengeance. Isn't that what anger is? It leads to vengeance. I need to get back at them. I need to get back. You hit me on this cheek, I'll hit you on the other cheek. You take my eye, I take your eye. You text me, I text you back. You text me again, I text you back twice. It's vengeance. It is action. And this is a sin. You see, this is where... Now, remember, we talked about God's anger. God is not a vengeance God. God has not got our attributes. We've got His attributes. God is not angry to people because He wants to vengeance upon them. No, no. He says, Beloved, do not avenge yourself but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If something happens to you, listen to me right now, I mean, maybe you've fasted something in your life for a long time. It may have been a Christian, it may have, you know, we come across people where churches hurt them. Have you heard that? <laughs> There's people who's not even coming to church anymore because they've been hurt by a church. There's people's children not going to churches because the people in the church hurt them. It's to them that I want to talk right now. You may be sitting there listening online, and you say, I'm not going back to... There's a lot of hypocrites in the church, and I say, yeah, come and join. We need more hypocrites. Praise the Lord, man. No, no, listen to me really carefully now. You've been hurt, but, you know, leave it to the Lord. Give it back to Him. Don't let it fester in your heart. Because, you know, He wants to use you. He wants to put joy in your heart, and He wants to share other people the joy from you to them. But vengeance is a sin. Ephesians 4.31 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. What about abuse? Abuse is a sin. 
And, and, and anger leads to abuse. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11. A fool vents all his feeling. Do you know a few fools in your life? Are you a fool? Am I a fool? This is how I'm praying when I'm preparing. I said, Lord, am I just vending it all? He says he vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Proverbs 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man still stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. He quiets contention. I, uh, I remember back in South Africa, I was still living there, and uh, one morning I woke up with this scripture verse. You know, I wasn't dreaming. The first thought that jumps into my mind was the scriptures verse. A quiet answer turns away wrath. Don't know if you know that scripture verse. I, I woke up, first thing in my mind. I woke up and boom, a quiet answer turns away wrath. And I go, Lord, where's this coming from? What have I done? And I'm into my prayer room, into my quiet time, and I keep on praying, keep on, keep on, you know, doing nothing. It, just, it was as if nothing happened. I thought, oh, maybe my thoughts. That same day, I was a school teacher then, that same day, that same day, that scripture became alive into me. Because somebody came and said something, and, I, and that scripture jumps up again, and I go, a soft answer, just a soft answer. I want to say to you in your circumstance, maybe, maybe, maybe do this, give a soft answer every single time you get a hard word. It is not easy, my sister. It's not easy. Nothing is easy. But you know why I started with that verse where he says that he will and do, he will give you the energy. Amen. We need to ask him to help us. We need to ask him to help us. But abuse comes, you know, abuse over the mouth. And, and you know, when he plays tennis, stop the tennis playing and say, look, you know what? I'm not going to continue with this voice uh, that we got. Let's just turn away. Because the thing is, brothers and sisters, if you're going to let it fester in your heart, that's going to control your life. Remember what the heart is full, it controls the spirit. One more, two more, aggression. This is a sin. It comes from an angered heart. It comes from there. It says in Proverbs 11 verse 13, a tale bearer reveals secrets, but he who is of faithful spirit conceals a matter. Do you know what a tale bearer is? Anybody? Gossiper. Gossiper. You know what gossipers do? They aggravate aggression. They continually put wood on the fire. If you keep on talking about it to your friends, you continue throwing up. And yeah, did you know? And you know they eat that thing up from both sides and there's no more meat on the bone, but they start biting at the bone, trying to get some meat. If you do not put any wood on the fire, wood on the fire is going to die. It's going to burn out. And it is what happens. And then, and then also withdrawal. You know, this is one of the big things. Uh, you, you know that you can be angry by just withdrawal. You find it so oftentimes in relationships where people, they get so angry with one another, and then they just don't talk for each other for a week. <laughs> don't talk. Yeah, I don't talk with you anymore. There's this, in, in South Africa we call it still staper. Okay, still staper means it's quiet, I don't know, it's a quiet tantrum or something. Kali, could you still understand a little bit of Afrikaans? Still nothing. But, you know, this is what it is. I'm so angry at him. I'm so angry at him. I'm just not going to talk to him. I, I, I don't want to talk anymore. It is not right, brothers and sisters. Let's address this. He says in Proverbs 8, 10 verse 18, he says, Whoever hides hatred was lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. And, and this all can lead to depression. To depression. Wow, that is tough. Now, I've, I've given you the word, and I know it's touching everybody, and uh, it, it touches me as well. Because, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, standing in front of you, we are still living in this world. We're not in a small cocoon where these things done. It doesn't uh, appear to us. I mean, I myself find myself getting frustrated so often. But it's what we do with that. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not sin. And I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again. There is an action happening, and then there's a reaction. For some people, the action leads directly into the reaction. What I'm saying to you to do is to put a pause between the two. Put a pause between the two. Action happens, and there's this pause, and then a reaction. And in the middle, I want you to write the words decision. It is my decision how I'm going to react. 
If I get frustrated, you became angry straight away. Now you're going to sit there and you're going to say, wait a minute, I'm frustrated. I'm going to choose not to become angry. You see, the psychologists say to you that anger is an emotion. Like love is an emotion. Yeah? But I want to challenge that. I'm, I'm not a PhD, by the way. But I want to challenge that. Because I've applied it in my life in certain areas. If you decide not to become angry, you will not become angry. Go and test me on this. I ask you to go and test me on this. Next time before you fly off the handles like they say, just say to yourself, my preacher said I need to pause now, okay? If that's going to help you. But trust on the Holy Spirit. Before you fly off the handles, just think, stop. Because that person or persons is going to, they're going to they're gonna think you're going to respond like you always respond. Now you're going to go, I'm actually not going to say an angry word back. I'm going to say, God love you, dear. And walk away. Let's see the reaction. Let's see. The, you know what you're going to think? You're going to walk away and say, how foolish. I've lost just there. I've, I'm the loser now. And that person is the winner. You see, that is why I'm saying that anger is coming not from the right place. If you want to bite back, it's because it comes from a selfish ambition. Now we need to do something different. If you're going to do the same thing over again, you're going to get the same result. So maybe just, just do it. Just do it once. Just see the reaction. And if they go, oh, there you see, you're losing, you're a loser, you're walking away, you've done the right thing. Because God don't want us to be angry people. He didn't call us to be angry. Now, how do we deal with this? Let me finish off today, because I've talked a little bit a lot down on How do we deal with anger? First of all, we fill your heart with the Word of God. That is the hard work, my sisters and brothers. That's the hard work, isn't it? We need to fill your heart. What is in the heart will come out of the heart. And, and you know, what you need to do is go. Go and do this. The Gideon Bible is beautiful because it gives these passages for feelings in your life. Going to your Bible and to going to the back section, look up the word anger and look at all of those scripture verses about anger and go and write them down for you. Study them. Memorize them. And next time when a person comes to you and you're so frustrated and you're just about to become angry, see, call upon those scripture verses. Call upon the one that I say to you, a slow, a, a, a soft answer, turn away the anger or the wrath. Call on it. See how it's going to influence your life. This is how you work against your anger, against frustration. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, and by the way, there's many verses. He says, the, the, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. That you may observe, observe to, to do according to that is what's written in it. I love Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. Who knows what's written in there? He says we need to study the word. We need to put the word in your heart. We need to bind it around your neck. This is why the Jews walk around with those paracletes or those boxes. They do it physically. We, can, we don't have to do it physically. But the first thing how you deal with anger is... You list, go into your Bible, go into your concordance, look up anger, write down these verses, learn them. Because brothers and sisters, if you're going to fill your heart, it's going to work in your, in your soul and it's going to come over your mouth. Secondly, you repent and you pray. If you get angry, we all do. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I pray to you, Lord. I ask you to forgive me. Acts chapter 8, verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness, and pray to God, perhaps the thoughts of your heart may be forgiven you. The thoughts of what? Your heart. It's all about the heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. Do not let anger fester there, because it's not coming from a right place. You might be justified. You can come to me and give me a, ten, a list of 10 reasons why you are justified. At the end of the day, God don't want you to be an angry person. And then, think before you speak to act. I think I've already unpacked that one. That's the pause decision. Pause, wait. James chapter 1 verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow. Everybody say slow. No, no, say it like me. Slow. <laughs> Slow to speak, slow to wrath. You see, this is what the Bible teaches. Now, 
How do we do that? How do we do all of this? We can't do it on your own. Let me, let me just tell you, I can't. You know, the days that I came out and I said, Lord, I'm not going to be angry anymore. Just five minutes later, something happened. And there I went and bite our dog's tail again. I got angry. No, no, we can't do it in yourself. And if you're going to try to do it in yourself, you're setting up laws for yourself. And guess what? The moment you set up a law for yourself, your, your whole body goes try to break that law. No, it's so easy. And I say easy with really, this is in the word alone, is to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because it says it there, and do not be drunk in wine in which there is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. If the Spirit of God fills you, what's going to come out? The Spirit of God's going to come out. Jesus stood there. He says, he says, come to me and I will give you living waters and those waters will gush from out of your heart. He was talking about the Holy Spirit there. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody into your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks for all things to God and the Father in the name of your Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting one another in the fear of the Lord. Amen. Have we learned something today? Are we still friends? I was going to preach it anyway. I'm not here to trickle your ears, brothers and sisters. This needs to adjust to our hearts. Next week, we're going to look into another one. And it's going to be intense as well. But hang in there. Because the Holy Spirit, if you sat here today, listen to me. If you sat here today and you felt at some stages, whoa, you are now touching, you are so close to mouth. It's not me. It's the Spirit of God. He's identified something. And if you felt like that, praise the Lord, because it means that He's working in you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for Your Word today. Lord, I know it's a hard word. It comes right. But Lord, this is what the Bible is. The Bible is, it's like a two-edged sword. It's, first of all, living and powerful, like a two-edged sword which cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And it is the discerner of the hearts and the minds. Father, I pray and ask You to help us, Lord. Even now that everybody's heard this sermon, Father, I pray that the evil one don't come and take the seed away. Father, I pray that each one will go away and let's search our hearts, Lord, and work on our own salvation for you to work in us to will, both to will and to do your good pleasure. I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.